Segment Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, August 9th. We've got a lot to talk about today. The Olympics wrapped up over the weekend. We've only got three years until we head to Paris for the next Summer Olympics. And six months until the Winter Olympics coming up this winter. It's going to be here before we know it. But of course, this podcast is dedicated to cycling. And so... That's what we're going to talk about today. We've got most of the normal crew, all of the normal crew, everybody except James. James seems like an integral part of the normal crew, to be honest. I mean, he's one of the original crew, right? The original crew was me and him and and Neil Rogers, right? Uh, So I guess only one of the original crew is actually here. How is everybody? Abby, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. I got this shiny ring on my finger now. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. You. you were off last week. We missed you on the podcast, but you had better things to be doing. I really did. I, I honestly didn't even think about you guys once. So what? <laughs> like like even for a minute, nope. like a like a, a split second. Actually, I did see the podcast come into my inbox um, and I went, oh, it happened. Wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we did it without you somehow. It was a bit of a disaster, but we made it happen. Yep. Ronan, how are you? Um, I'm good. I'm I'm plastered, nearly covered in plaster because my garage is getting plastered today. Does does that does that term does that translate? Okay, yeah. I just wasn't sure. I, I'm never sure. <laughs> and you're also doing a triathlon soon. Shh, you weren't supposed to say that on the air. <laughs> I don't really know how or why this happened, but we we'll, we'll dig into this. We don't need to talk about it right now. We don't need to talk about it right now, but. Ronan's doing a triathlon. We're going to find out more. Dane Cash, sans beard. How are you today? Yeah, doing good. Uh, we got a Vuelta preview, so let's call it Scene Beard today. Scene Beard? Scene Barba. My Spanish but yeah. is not great. So. Yeah. <laughs> and Shadi, Dave Everett, how are you? Very good, yeah. Not too bad at all. Well, today we're going to do a quick Olympic wrap-up because, like I said, Olympics wrapped up over the weekend. We had... A pile of medals awarded in the last couple of days of the Olympics, including the first ever track gold medal for the Americans, I believe. Pretty stunning display from Jennifer Valente. We're also going to talk transfers because it is silly season. As of August 1st, all these transfers can be made official. And there's a whole bunch floating around, in particular related to Bora Hansgrohe, because... They've gotten rid of Peter Sagan, or I guess he got rid of them. And so all of a sudden they have a lot of money to spend, and they are spending it. So we're going to talk about that. Talk about the Tour de l'Avenir, the race of the future, uh, because basically the the riders that we're talking about in each Tour de l'Avenir are the same riders we will be talking about a lot over the next couple years. We'll preview that a little bit. And then we're going to talk Vuelta. Uh, the Vuelta starts very soon. And we're going to talk contenders, talk about the route, do a little 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 preview there. And finally, we've got an interview for you today. Uh, Jose Bain talked to Kuhn de Court. I'm sure some of you will have heard that Kuhn had a really nasty motorsport accident and lost a number of fingers off of his hand uh, as a result of that. Although maybe also because I think he's 38 years old. He's transitioning from a professional racing career to a behind-the-scenes professional career, still with Trek Sacred So, Jose caught up with him. It's a great interview. We're going to drop that into the end of the show. But first, Shoddy Dave, what are we learning about Continental today? Let's head to the boards today because we don't talk much about track racing, but with all eyes on the Izu Velodrome, it's how you say it. The one that's at the Tokyo Olympics. This week, it seems relevant to mention Continental's indoor range of tyres. Without the need uh, for puncture protection, or at least uh, less of it, the Tempo 2 and Sonder Class 2 tyres offer two options for those looking to throw down on the indoor track. The Tempo 2, a particularly light and fast, designed for concrete or wooden velodrome surfaces. Then the Sonder Class 2, well, they're single-minded, aren't they? They are extremely light and fast-handling tyres, 
made for endurance racing on the wooden boards. A special slick profile for the highest speeds puts these tyres into a class of its own when it comes to track racing. Both, of course, are made using Continental Signature Black Chili Compound for maximum grip and speed. So, if you're looking for a bit of extra speed on the track, check out what Continental has to offer with their Tempo 2 and Sonder Class 2 tyres. Am I saying Sonder Class right, people? Have I got that terribly wrong? Are Continental going to be going, Oi, that's not how you say it, shoddy. That is a shoddy <laughs> way of saying Sonder Class. It sounds right. That's as, that's as close as we're going to get, I think. You could try to throw some German in there, you know. Don't. Like a don't German tell me, feel. Look, people say I can't even speak English, let alone German, so let's not go down <laughs> that route. <laughs> Thanks to Continental for sponsoring this week's episode. We do appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. So we're going to start with things that have already happened before we talk about things that are yet to happen. The Olympics wrapped up over the weekend, and as I mentioned in the little intro there, got some record-breaking gold medals, uh, drought-breaking gold medals. Talk me through how Jen Valente did it, Dan Cash. How did how did Jen take a gold medal? Well, so yeah, first of all, it's it's the Omnium that she took the the medal in. It's a really fun event to watch an Omnium final. Um, it's it's basically a bunch of laps, and you get points at certain laps, and you try to lap the field sometimes. And um, because of the nature of the race and the number of riders that are in it, it there are a lot of road style aspects where you know you're trying to ride with other people and, and chase down moves and that kind of thing. Uh, Valenti had a really strong lead heading into the race, so she only had to do so much to kind of hold on to that lead. Um, and there were points at which it seemed like there was you know no there was going to be no catching her. And then there was a, a number of crashes in the middle of the race, and she crashed uh, at the back of the pack. And all of a sudden, it was like, wait, uh, what's going to happen now? Uh, she was able to get it back up, so she was back into the field. Um, but, you know, from for the last uh, three or four sprints there, it, it, there was kind of a question mark about whether she was going to kind of be able to hold off uh, a, a, a charging uh, Yumi Kajihara and uh, Kirsten Vild was also up there. Uh, but Kajihara unfortunately crashed as well, uh, kind of took her out of contention for gold. Uh, and Kirsten Vild did a lot to keep, you know, racking up points, but was basically too far behind Valente's lead to really come all that close. And uh, Valente, despite her crash, did end up getting back up there into the group. And uh, although she had a pretty heavy lead, Towards the end of the race, just for good measure, she went and, and uh, contested the final sprint and finished second, I think, in that final sprint. And uh, yeah, took, took a pretty clear win of the gold medal, led, you know, led that final wire to wire, which is really impressive. And uh, uh, Kajihara got, got second uh, and Kirsten Vild ended up in third on the day. So uh, pretty impressive from Vild at this point in her career and having done so much already uh, over the course of the many years she has spent racing on the track. Uh, to come up with a bronze medal in Tokyo was pretty awesome for her. But for Valente, it's the first uh, women's cycling track gold, women's track cycling gold in U.S. history. And we've had some really talented riders on the track. But for Valente to finally pull off the gold medal is a pretty big deal. Huge deal. She's been racing for, for quite a while. I mean, she she competed in, in the Tokyo Olympics in Rio, where the U.S. won a, a bronze medal in the team pursuit. And she was instrumental there. And she's kind of gone through this interesting um, trajectory in her career where she's one of the rare riders that is pretty much only focused on the track. She dabbles in road a little bit throughout the season, but especially, you know, in the couple years leading up to the Olympics, she's solely dedicated to the track. And I think that that really kind of shown through at this omnium and especially when the huge crash happened she was you know a lot of it is is luck being in the right place at the right time and when that massive crash happened that took out a lot of the contenders for the omnium she was in the right place at the right time and the biggest threat to the win going into it was laura kenny of course and laura kenny just really botched the elimination which um, Jen, Jen Valente, she didn't, 
you know, win the elimination. She ended up, I think, fourth. And so she was up there still. But that was one of the most interesting things for me was was the elimination race. But also, yeah, it was kind of there was no way that you could say that Jen happened to ride away with this win. She rode every single of the four races incredibly well. Yeah, she's been a little bit overshadowed, I think, by names like Chloe Digert, for example, who, who you know, showed up and does some pretty impressive things in the team pursuit, for example. Uh, but Jen has been really the mainstay of this American Olympic track program for a very long time now. She's also just a, an extremely nice human being. Uh, you know, our friend, our mutual friend, Ruth Winder Abby, was just effusive about how great of a person Jen Valente is and how hard she works and how long she's been working for this particular event. And it was a, it was a perfectly executed day. I mean, we talked a little bit about in the, in the sort of preview, uh, the Olympic preview bit that we did. Was it last week or the week before? Uh, that I like, I kind of wish the Omnium was just four different medals, right? It was just a medal for all the events that are part of it. That would be great. But at the same time, it is kind of a cool way to pick out, you know, basically the best track rider of every four years, you could say. Because uh, they're all in one day, we have four events in one day. That's a that's a serious amount of effort in one day. Anybody who's ever done a track race knows how intense these things can be. You basically, you know, I, I think I mentioned this last week, that you combine like an hour-long criterium or a two-and-a-half-hour long road race into like seven minutes a lot of the time. They're really intense races, and to have to do them over and over and over and over again and maintain that level of consistency. And like I said, she just executed every single one of those events so perfectly is hugely impressive, hugely impressive. Uh, and like I said, couldn't happen to a, to a better person. I think that there was not a single, there's not a single athlete coach, anybody who was bummed about Jen Valente taking a gold medal at this Olympic games. It's interesting that they keep changing up the format of the Omnium, um, taking out the timed events, the individual pursuit, for example, and throwing it all into just one day. Because it used to be multiple days and there included timed events, but they're shrinking a lot of the track events when it comes to the Olympics, which is a, a huge bummer because there's there used to be a lot more going on and it seems like by confining the omnium into one day it's kind of cool i mean it does make it a lot more challenging i think but it it is kind of a bummer as well that they've continued to cut out events although on the other hand we did have the women's madison this year for the first time ever so which was super cool yeah which was incredible to watch yeah like i said I've, i don't love the track program these days at the olympics i mentioned that in the preview but I mean, it could be worse, right? <laughs> there there are lots of sports being removed from the Olympics so that they can add other ones, right? I mean, this is the last time we've seen we're gonna see race walking, for example, at the Olympics. Was, the, what? was this particular so game? dumb? Yeah, right? You're joking. I know Shoddy is a massive race walking fan. Uh I've seen those hips wiggle, Shoddy. I've I've seen those hips wiggle. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you know, race walking is gone. I think I think Paris is is getting break dancing. What as a are you Olympic sport? Somebody yep. watched Step Up to the Streets one too many times. <laughs> the Olympics are changing. They're you know changing to reflect a a modern sporting world. Uh, and unfortunately, even though we all love track racing and we love watching these events at the Olympics, how many people have access to a velodrome? Right, like. Part of part of what the Olympics appear to be trying to do, well, what they're actually trying to do is pick up sports that make them more, more money, basically. But effectively, that also means that those are sports that are more accessible. That's often why those sports are more valuable, right? Skateboarding. You can skateboard anywhere. Uh, breakdancing. You can breakdance anywhere, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Same with BMXing as well. BMXing. You can do that anywhere. You know, and, and then you compare that to any, any event in a velodrome where... Yeah, if you live if you live in the UK and there's and there's 27 velodromes in a country the size of a shoe, then you're fine. If you live in America, chances are you live a 15-hour drive from the nearest decent velodrome. <laughs> or if you live in Ireland and you don't have any 
velodromes. Right. If you live in Ireland, you don't have a single velodrome. So, you know, it's one of those things where I can kind of see why they're doing it, even though it hurts me and my heart and my soul, because this is like, they're kind of like foundational events for cycling. Uh, but I can, I, unfortunately, I can kind of see why they're, they're compacting that program. But it still sucks. On, on the topic of accessibility for Olympic sports, I had a question come up in my mind the other day. And this is slightly off topic, sorry, but where are the surf events going to be in Paris? So I Googled it. It turns out they're in Tahiti. You're joking. <laughs> They've not even I'm stuck on Horsico down the, down the southwest. Not even, uh, not even anywhere near France or Paris. Tahiti. Well, I've just put in for my credential, um, and it's mostly to cover surfing. So that that's fine. Wait, me. can you put in for mine too, though? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we only get to send one person from Cycling Tips. Okay, I'll arm wrestle you for it. Hey, tough luck, guys. I'm the one that lives closest. <laughs> we got to keep budget Did slow. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, a couple other... Couple other uh, Olympic wrap-up bits of note: Jason Kenny snagged yet another gold medal in the men's Kieran. That makes him the most decorated British Olympian ever. Congratulations, to Jason Kenny. I know that he came in. He came into these games sort of not really as a as a heavy favorite for well, really any event. He's sort of a little bit over the hill. Sorry, Jason, uh, but managed to pull that one out of the bag and you know if you listen to our preview episode you know that the the kieran is that crazy event where you ride behind a derny for a bunch of laps 750 meters i think and then you sprint everybody else for another 750 and uh it's a super cool super fun event and jason absolutely bossed it so congrats to him and combined with laura kenny's medals they now have the equivalent amount of olympic medals as an average swimmer <laughs> Don't get me started, Ronan. I'm Don't trying to. I got less. I got less hate about that rant than I was expecting. Um, I still got some, but I got less than I was expecting. Most people were like, "You're right. There's too many damn swimming medals." And finally, for our Canadian listeners out there, the second ever track gold for Canada was won by Kelsey Mitchell in the women's sprint. Uh. I actually didn't catch this because it was happening at two o'clock in the morning, but I assume it was fantastic. And congrats to Kelsey and Canadians everywhere. It was. It was fantastic. And I accept your congratulations um, on behalf. of <laughs> I always forget that you're Canadian. No, it was it was really an incredible win. I mean, the interesting thing about the track or the sprint event is kind of the cat and mouse game that they play. And she played it smart. She was really strong and it was yeah it was a really amazing win congrats to canada all of canada including abby even though i keep forgetting that she's canadian uh and to kelsey mitchell what moving on from the olympics so i was gonna say one one takeaway from the track events is that it definitely seems a little bit more um not so dominated by the great britain though they were top of the leaders table but it's not dominated by the yet the traditional uh, countries anymore. There seems to be a real mix. Like, a lot, there does seem to be a lot of countries that are coming through, having good development uh, structures for, for other riders to come through now. So it's really nice to see that med medal table be a bit more mixed up than it normally is. Yeah, I mean, Rio is super dominated by by Great Britain. One, because I think that they, they have a great development system. A lot of the professional roadies from the UK end up going through the track program so they can pull them back when they need them. I'm thinking like Cavendish, Wiggins, Garrett Thomas, those type of, you know, massively, massively huge engines. Uh, and I think a lot of other countries don't really do that. You know, you couldn't take most of the top American male pros anyway, have probably never been on a velodrome uh, or at least haven't spent much time on a velodrome. That maybe that's part of it, but it was good to see just a, a broader mix of of names and nationalities at the top of the at the top of the podiums this this time around. Moving on from the Olympics, sad I know, but again we only have to wait six months for another Olympic Games. <laughs> We've got 
We've got Winter Olympics coming. The far superior of the Olympics. I mean... Yes, Dane. Don't give me that thumbs down. The Winter Olympics is way better. I get. I mean, sure. Talk about accessibility. Yeah. Okay, let's like play sports where half the world can't even participate. And so, <laughs> yeah, I guess we dominate half those sports, which is great because we have snow here, but eh, it's okay. And they don't even have cycle cross in it. So, yeah, let's not talk about it. Cycle cross isn't a sport. Whoa. It's ridiculous. Oh, it. <laughs> How can we get on Cycle cross is that's, just an activity. That's terrible. That bloody hell. I'm just trying to take all the heat off Kaylee for his comment about swimmers. So, was there that much heat? I feel like a lot of people, kind of quietly in the cycling world, are probably agreeing with you, Kaylee. Cyclocross yeah, that's, that's mostly what I got. racers don't listen to this podcast. They're like, we don't do road, we do cyclocross. We're way cooler than y'all. We'll be over here. Hashtag cross is coming. Cross is indeed coming. No, it's not. Moving on from the Olympics. It's transfer season. It's silly season. Uh, So on August 1st, according to the UCI, that is the first day in which transfers can actually happen. Uh, They are obviously, they are worked on prior to that. Uh, There are discussions that happen. There are contracts, you know, pulled up. Not, maybe not signed, possibly signed. A lot of uh, handshake deals going on in the months prior. But as of August 1st, those transfers can be made official and made public. And we've got a fair number of them for next year. And the biggest sort of point of action at the moment centers around Bora Hansgrohe because Peter Sagan is leaving. And that has left them, well, basically a fair amount of budget to go buy up new riders. Dane, what's going on over at Bora and what are what how is this going to sort of trickle throughout the rest of the of the Peloton? Yeah, I mean, you've you nailed it there. It's you know, Pierce Sagan leaving has really opened up a lot of flexibility for this team and it's a team that had already been very busy signing really good riders who uh, could already even in the past 2 years or so, I think the team could already say that they were they were prepared for the departure of Peter Sagan and you know, in the last two years, he hasn't really gotten quite the same results as he had prior to that. Uh, but the team itself has has enjoyed plenty of success with other riders already. You know, guys like Maximilian Schachmann. But that the, with him leaving, they've they've now freed up a, a fair bit of money to continue to go out and sign new riders, and uh, they have done so. So Sagan is leaving, and a, a number of his kind of entourage will be. Will be headed out the door as well, uh, and so too will Pascal Ackerman. By the way, that's another you know, big name for that team. Uh, but quite a few riders in the kind of Sagan group, Daniel Oss being the, the biggest of them, are out. Uh, but the team suddenly has a fair bit of cash. So the biggest name that they're bringing to the team, bringing back to the team, is Sam Bennett. Uh, and and this has kind of been not known, but it's been talked about a fair bit. Uh, rumors of his return. Uh, so Sam Bennett is going to head back to Bora, where he really had most of the biggest successes of his career right up until 2020 when he won uh, his, you know, his first Tour de France stages and a, and a points jersey. And, you know, he's obviously familiar with that environment. And the, the departure, his departure from the team was acrimonious, to say the least, uh, when he left. Uh, maybe not so acrimonious as his departure from Takuna Quickstep. But it is a little bit interesting that he's headed back to that team. Uh, but he clearly, you know, liked the environment there and they have money for him. So... He probably won't have to worry so much about getting opportunities now that he's clearly the top dog in the sprints. Patrick Lefebvre said sorry. Sort of. A little bit. He tried to, Not but he really. just couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I read yeah. that somewhere. I mean, so he took to his uh, Het Newsblad column, which is where he had previously spouted off about all manner of different things, uh, and basically didn't really apologize, just said I was wrong to make light of domestic abuse. So, I mean, that's true. He was wrong to do that. Um, I wonder if some sponsors got to him here because we don't often see this sort of thing from Lefebvre. We usually see him double down on on such things. Uh, But as we mentioned when we talked about this in a recent episode, you know, he's got Specialized behind him. He's got, obviously, big national companies behind him in Belgium. Surely somebody 
rang him up and said, hey, maybe stop this. Maybe don't do that. Uh, you're making all of us look bad. And I wonder if that's the source of that, uh, that mea culpa that he wrote in Het Newsblad. I'm glad. I mean, it's a good thing I wasn't on the podcast last week, honestly, with this topic coming up. So we, I mean, we railed into him pretty hard anyway, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he just making an absolute ass of himself. So I guess it's good that he wrote this sort of like half-ass apology thing. It's not really an apology. Uh, it's, I don't think we're going to see any change in behavior over the long term um i'd love to see a change of behavior but uh, it, it does seem to me like like someone probably got to him it didn't seem so much an apology it was an apology for what he, how he f- phrased it but definitely not an apology for what he said like the contents of what he said it plus the the fact that he kind of said oh i'm not i'm i'm a big enough man to say that i'm wrong it kind of cracked me a little bit with it but yeah, everything that he said within the conversation, what he wrote, still stood rather than... It was just the words that he used that he said, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have used that. Really, we shouldn't give this man any more air, though, should we? Uh, well, is talking about how much of a terrible person he is giving him air? I don't, I don't know. Fair point. <laughs> <don't> know. <laughs> you know? If we're just ragging on him the entire time, uh, yeah. Anyway, we don't. Yeah, we don't need to spend too much time on this. But you can't really talk about Sam Bennett right now, and in particular, Sam Bennett's move, without bringing up Lefevre, because well, that's the source of all of this, right? I mean, Sam Bennett was going to leave the team, and that's when Lefevre started to not like him anymore. Weird. So he is headed to Bora, and uh, we'll probably be back to winning sprints next year. He he apparently needs uh, knee surgery. Is that correct? I thought I thought I saw that somewhere. Yeah, he's got three to four months recovery as well from from what we've heard uh, after that. But I think we've got to give Bora and Handgrove a um, lot, lot of respect because with Sagan leaving, they could have quite easily reduced the budget and continued with a, a, a smaller team. But they've stuck with like yeah, plowing big bucks into a, a world tour team. Like they could have yeah, we've had our sponsorship, we've done what we've wanted, we could we could be out. So yeah. It's Big props to them too for sticking with the sport, sticking with putting yeah big money into the team. Yeah, I kind of wonder. I wonder how much money it freed up, you know, because we know that Sagan was on a lot, five, five, six million a year euros. Um, a fair amount of that was paid by Specialized, and so I don't know exactly what the ratios were, like how much of that cash was coming out of a, a sort of a pure Bora Hansgrohe wage budget. But I would guess it's something like 50-50. Even if it's, if it's anywhere near that, then they just opened up, what, two and a half, three million euros for, for payment. You can, pick up, you can pick up a lot of riders for two and a half, three million euros. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. And that's even before we talk about the rest of the entourage that's leaving. I mean, Daniel Oss is probably also on a, on a, on a decent chunk of salary. So they've, they've got suddenly a huge amount of wage budget to kind of play with. And uh, agreed, Shadia, I'm... I'm glad to see that they're actually using it, that they're picking up a bunch of young, you know, kind of up and coming riders who could potentially be very, very good over the next couple of years, uh, probably aren't massively expensive yet. And so they're kind of, they're trying a bunch of different avenues, picking up all these riders and you're going to see, see who, who comes good basically. So speaking of Dane, who else got picked up by Bora? Who else is going to Bora? Yeah. So there's sort of two, kind of contingency here there's there's the people who are going to help sam bennett do his job um you've got shane archbold and marco haller coming over as well and then ryan mullen who is very powerful rider um and a a four-time irish national tt champ and i think is a a good pickup as well and then they've also signed a number of really good climbers uh the the team uh, and and i kind of mentioned this before they, they already had quite a few Riders Shockman, I think, is the, the best one on their, on their team so far in terms of results, uh, who has been really just putting up results year after year and, and really uh, impressing. But they've now added Sergio Higuita from EF, which is a pretty big deal. Very talented young rider. Uh, they've added Jai Hindley, second at the Giro last year from DSM. And uh, one of the, I think, most underrated riders in the peloton, Alexander Vlasov, who was fourth at this most recent Giro and a really good 
climber and time trialist. A really good all-around talent. He's you know, 25 this year, and I think he's somebody who can continue to be pretty competitive in the Grand Tours for the next several years. Um, he'll, he'll be at the Vuelta coming up, so we'll see how he does there. But yeah, they've got, they, they clearly went out and they, they really wanted to get uh, better just all around. You know, so they brought in Bennett, brought back Bennett to win sprints, and now they've got quite a few riders who could potentially be up there uh, for, for Grand Tours. And we'll, we'll see how, you know, well, some of these guys pan out. They didn't get any kind of, you know, five-star Grand Tour favorites, but they got riders who could develop into something like that. Um, and, and if any one of them does, you know, it's been a pretty successful transfer season for them. Yeah, we've talked about him before, but Vlasov is a is a really interesting rider. Sort of flown under the radar a little bit, maybe because he's Russian, maybe because he's on Astana. But under Bora, I, I, I could see him doing some some pretty incredible things over the next couple of years. He's 25 years old, so he's kind of coming into his prime right now. At least under the old ways, prime these days seems to be more like 22. Uh, but under the under normal circumstances, coming into his prime right now, and he's had a bunch of rides where, I mean, again, didn't come out of nowhere, but he's up with like household names of the sport, uh, and particularly when he really wasn't, he's becoming one. And I think that yeah, a move to a move away from Astana. Uh, we're not going to really talk about Astana and Vino and stuff yet, although it's worth talking about it at some point over the next couple of weeks. But a move away from Astana is, I think, a good thing for him. Or anybody. <laughs> or anybody. Boris had a nice development record recently, too. I mean, with with Shockman and with Bookman as well. Um, and then, you know, Wilco Ketterman came over to the team uh, for this year and promptly went out and finished fifth at the Tour de France. So they clearly, they know what they're doing. And I think we've t- we've talked about them as being Sagan's team for so long that I think it has kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of occluded some of the successes that they've had in, in the stage races, in the Hillier races with guys like Bookman, Schachmann, and, and uh, Kelderman. I mean, just to run through this, because I feel like Vlasov does fly under the radar so much. He was second at Perinese this year, fourth at the Giro this year, third at Lombardia last fall, Fifth at Torreno last year, eleventh at the Vuelta last year. He like he's he's a legit hitter. And again, I just feel like, in particular, English language media, we we often sort of ignore him because of the Astana thing, because he's Russian. You know, we don't get a lot of English language quotes out of him and things like that. That is probably going to change with Bora, and I think that that's a name we're going to hear a lot over the next couple of years. Moving on, the other team picking up lots of talent right now. Dane is. UAE, which isn't too surprising after we spent three weeks talking about how bad they were at the Tour de France. Uh, they weren't actually that bad. They were fine. They were fine. They just weren't Ineos, right? So they've turned around and they've hired a bunch of uh, pretty strong riders. Yeah, they've done a nice job of um, adding a, across the board here. Uh, so they're, they're going to be bidding farewell to Alexander Kristoff. Uh, so they went out and they got Pascal Ackerman, who is a very fast sprinter uh, from Borhanskra and a rider who has won some of the same races that that uh, Christoph has won. Christoph, uh, by the way, headed to the Intermarché Wanty Gobert Material team uh, to hopefully kind of kickstart them. They were first year at World Tour this year, didn't have that many results. But back to UAE, that they're you know they're going to be replacing that sprint speed with somebody who is also extremely fast and significantly younger uh, than Christoph. Than uh, they're also adding Alvaro Hoach, who is another rider who has kind of classics ability and sprint speed and has racked up quite a few wins in his young career. He's just still only 24 coming over from Dukunik. And I think I think he's going to thrive at uh, at the UAE team. I, I really I really like him as a as a potential winner over there. And then they went out and got Joao Almeida, who has now finished top 10 at the Giro twice in a row. He was fourth in 2020 and sixth this year. And a rider who, he's uh, only 23, just just turned 23 this past week, uh, and is a great time trialist and climber. Another one of those riders who could develop into something. I guess it remains to be seen what they're going to do with him because you know UAE has they have a pretty good Grand Tour rider on their team uh, in Tadej Pogacar. He's up and comer, still pretty young, but he's he's I think he's got a bright future ahead. Uh, so it, it remains to be seen whether they'll use a guy like Almeida to kind of go for his own chances in the Giro or the Vuelta or to support uh, Tadej Pogacar. And for me, the big so big surprise uh, was that they signed Marc Soler, who has been at Movistar for several years and has had a nice you know, career with Movistar. He won a Vuelta stage 
last year he won Paranese a few years back. He's, you know, finished up there in some world tour races here and there, uh, but has never really, I, I think, quite reached the level of uh, awesomeness that maybe we expected from a Tour de Lavenir winner because he won Tour de Lavenir back in 2015. Uh, and now he's headed over to UAE Team Emirates after quite a few years with Movistar. And again, not a rider, not, not somebody who I'm, I'm quite certain how they were going to use him. But the, I think the biggest storyline here is that the Movistar Netflix docuseries is losing its best character because Mark Soler was at the heart of like all the great moments of the Movistar doc. Uh, complaining or being complained at or suddenly having a big <laughs> success and everybody being really happy for him, even though they had just shit talked him like five minutes before. Yeah, so I'll be pretty bummed not to see him next year if they come back with that series. I think Soler, you know, at 27 years of age now, he kind of just... He's probably taking the chance that at UAE, even with Pogaccia, he's going to get his own chances because, you know, with Movistar having Valverde for the next 10, 15 years or so, he's clearly, he's clearly <laughs> not going to get a chance there. So he had to move on, I guess. He has a better chance of uh, Pogacar giving him a chance than Valverde <laughs> giving him a chance. Pogacar will be retiring Pogacar before will Valverde probably retire as well. Snap! I want to know if they've upped the budget because, like, uh, I think this year's budget was somewhere around a 30 million euro mark. So it's not as if um, that team couldn't scrape together a few more books. They seem to have pretty uh, decent I mean, backers, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they could they could double the. They could double the budget, and I don't think the backers would really care or notice. <laughs> or, I mean, we you could you could have a team there that has a budget that rivals something like Ineos. I think they maybe will get there actually. And I'm not sure, sorry, what those what what the writers we just spoke about are on. But the amazing thing is the length of the contracts. Almeida's contract is five years, which is you know, apart from Tadej Pogacar, pretty much unheard of in cycling. Yeah, that's when you know you're getting handed a large check in it and i don't mean just like them charity ones that you see on tv like big books big big books yeah i would imagine that they're paying pretty well over there um what yeah like i said it's it's the backers are not really concerned about budgets <laughs> i don't think so yeah it would surprise me in the slightest if we see uh if we see that budget just continue to increase over the next couple of years they just pick up the riders that they want to pick up and and there are a few teams that can truly outbid them. Moving on from UAE, last couple last couple transfers here. Uh, one of note, John Dagenkolb going back to Team DSM. Uh, obviously, formerly Sunweb. Dagenkolb had a lot of success back at Sunweb back in the day. Uh, left for a couple years and is headed now back. Yeah, one of one of the riders who. Yeah, I, we don't talk a lot about riders going back, going to going to that team. Uh, so many riders left, and they left in a way that made it seem like, yeah, they're never going back there. Uh, Dagen Cope, a little bit of a different story because of kind of the circumstances of his departure after his awful crash uh, and and then a year. Uh, but nice to see him going back there, and hopefully he'll have some success. I mean, Dagen Cope is he's been around for a while because he was so good so young. But he's, you know, he's still got some years ahead of him, I would think. Uh, and he's a rider who's pretty easy to root for, given his story. So I'm hopeful that he'll find some success going back uh, to DSM. He's really struggled since that crash. Um, were they in Mallorca? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The car crash in Mallorca where a bunch of his team was hit by a British woman driving on the wrong side of the road, basically. Um, he had some hand damage from that. And he's just really, he's really kind of just struggled since then. And I don't, I don't know if that's just happened to be the inflection point of his career anyway. But, you know, he went from basically being being in the discussion for almost every classic as well as a lot of of big sprints and things to, to not really being in the discussion for the last couple of years. And maybe, yeah, maybe a return to DSM is what he needs. I'd love to see him get back to his fiery best because he's an absolutely star rider, a real nice bloke. In fact, we've rode with him, haven't we, uh, Kaylee? We did a recon of Flanders. Lovely bloke. We attacked him mercilessly on the Coppenberg. Showed us how to do it, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> not a whole lot of um, not a whole lot of transfer news thus far out of the women's peloton, but just this morning, kind of a big one. Abby Grace Brown. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest transfer news so far 
in the silly season for the women is the move of Grace Brown from Team Bike Exchange to FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope, the French team that kind of started out as being um, almost a French development team for young French riders coming up through the ranks and has really turned themselves into an international squad. They have Cecily Utrip Ludwig. They have Marta Cavalli, who's been incredible this year. They have uh, Amelia Fallon, a legend. So they've added a, another Australian to their roster. They already have Brody Chapman, and with Lauren Kitchen retiring earlier this season, um, midway through the season, they've picked up Grace Brown for next year. And you know what? I think it's a great move. Um, we don't know a ton about bike exchange this year, how they formed rosters for the races, but they definitely struggled to fill the Anamique Van Vluten sized hole in their 2021 calendar. And Grace Brown basically got them all of their wins, all of their points, all of the action that happened this year came from Grace Brown. And, um, it's surprising that they are not trying to hold on to her more, but I'm really excited to see her make, make this move to a new team because she, turned pro with uh Mitchelton Scott so bike exchange and sometimes a rider just really needs to be in a new environment and she's been on bike exchange only for three years she signed in 2019 but I think moving to FDJ Futuris FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope for next year and for two years actually um Can we acronym that up no we just I like the full name Mm-mm. FDJ NAF FGJNAF. No, that doesn't make it any easier. Trust us, even the French say Nouveau Aquitaine hate it because it's two big regions that have been stuck together recently due to, well, diplomatic reasons. So, yeah, even the French hate saying Nouveau Aquitaine. I mean, it's beside the <laughs> point. With with Grace Brown's move to this new team, I think it's a great step for her. It's going to be a great environment for her. She's going to have a lot more riders around her who are... Um, her, her role on the team is going to be a lot more, you know, well-suited to FDJ than it would have been for bike exchange. It's really going to be interesting to see what bike exchange does now, because sure. They have Amanda Spratt. She's incredible. She had a off year. Maybe she bounces back next year. Um, they had, they have Lucy Kennedy who was injured most of the year, so what they're going to do without Grace is something I'm curious to see. For sure, they're going to pick up more riders. They have Anne San Esteban, who's amazing. Um, but they're yeah, it, it's a it's definitely an interesting move and one that I personally am very excited to see. Abby, what do you think about wages then? Because obviously, a bike exchange, they were paying the women the same as what the men were. Am I right in saying that? So does that show that? Uh, FDJ Nouveau Aquitaine have probably increased their wages as well. Yeah. Um, I actually, I had an interview with Stefan Delcourt earlier this year on freewheeling where he talked about how they don't have a men's team equivalent. Yes, there's a men's team called FDJ, but the two are not connected. They just happen to have the same sponsor. Um, that they, from the beginning, he's wanted to pay the women living livable wages. He went harped on and on about being women being able to buy a home. So for that team, they've always kind of stood by the women and paid them more than the minimum salary that was set forth by the UCI was supposed to be. And Team Bike Exchange did m- make a statement about that they would pay their women the minimum that of the men. Um, I don't know if that meant for 2022 or in 2021 because they made it already when 2021 had started. But I'm I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about bike exchange and their their salaries and stuff. I know in the past they've not been great, but FDJ has always been about paying their women a livable salary, and um, they've the fact that they could pick up Grace Brown signifies that they probably are paying a good amount to their riders. All right. That's our transfer wrap thus far. Before we move on from transfers, can I make a proposal for next year? Absolutely. That we do this a bit more like, I think you call it soccer, we call it football. And that there's five of us on this call here. If we took like a nation each and just were ready to go to any team's headquarters, stand outside, 
podcast or Facebook Live or something from outside their offices and just comment on the latest rumors repeatedly for hours on end. Our whole shift for the whole day could just be like standing outside the Bora office and say, we hear Sam Bennett is at the Bora training grounds, which they don't have, obviously, but he's doing a medical. Should he pass the medical, he will sign today. Something we got. Rumor has it that Sam Bennett has been on the website for specialized bikes. It would have been anyway. <laughs> He's already got one. <laughs> we we have missed. We've not uh, even spoke a Sagan's move to the lowly uh, direct. Tel- uh, what is it? Yeah, total direct total energy. Oh, Sorry, I forgot that called. he even existed for a second. Going from a world tour yeah. team rattling down to pro county or whatever it is now. I can't think of a recent world tour rider who went down to a pro county team. Well, pro team now. Uh, sorry, UCI. That had a lot of success. I mean, it just there are riders who are at the second division who are very successful, obviously, but they started there and then usually eventually they leave. I mean, Matthew Vanderpool is kind of an exception because he stayed there for so long. Uh, but I, I don't think it's a great sign for Sagan. Um, but on the, on the flip side, I mean, total energies is definitely going to get a boost. I mean, even if Sagan isn't going out and winning Flanders and Roubaix, that's a team that has not had a lot of success in the past two or three years. They got kind of unlucky, uh, Nicky Terpstra signing right after, you know, he won a monument and then he basically has, he's been hurt almost the entire classics period he's been there. Uh, so I feel, I, I feel for Terpstra, uh, but yeah, bringing on Sagan, they'll definitely get a boost. The question is how much of a boost will it be? Uh, it'll be, it'll be pretty significant for that team but for Sagan I can't imagine he's going to be as successful as he's been um, so far up to his career because it's just not easy to go to a second division team the, the one kind of bright thing for him is that Total Energies gets invites to a lot of races um, but they're not guaranteed they're not guaranteed to get invites and, and that's you know there could be races next year that, that we're used to seeing Sagan that he just doesn't get invited to yeah I think he'll still get invited <laughs> I mean it's, unless he's just terrible in the early season or something but even then uh, i mean it's still peter sagan he's still he's that's what they're banking on right is they're banking on you don't need a world tour license if you have peter sagan on the team and i think that that's probably true for the most part maybe there's the occasional race that they don't go to but any anything big anything that he wants to target they're gonna they're gonna let him in for sure every foreign rider that's gone to that team from what when it was Boulanger, Bonjour, Brioche Boulanger, any of its iterations has never done anything. You name me one foreign rider who's done something. They've had a few good French riders, obviously, uh, come through the ranks. But they're the ones that have generally come from the feeder team as well, the Vendée U team, into that team, and then on to other teams. But any foreign rider that's gone there has done diddly squat. Look, Bolsonaro this year, he was there. I bet you even forgot he was there, didn't you? I've never once in my life forgotten about Boston Hawk. <laughs> it's that lovely little face of his, isn't it? You can't forget it. Let's move on. We can continue to talk transfers throughout August. We're going to still, there will be more news on this front and uh, we can continue to talk about Peter Sagan and things like that. Before we talk the world's shortest Tour de Lavenir preview and the world's second shortest Vuelta Espana preview, Industry 9 offers two Back to basics wheel sets, putting the emphasis on the joy and simplicity of cycling. One one wheel sets are designed to be reliable and affordable, but still feature renowned I nine free hub engagement. Gravel road cyclocross is in the DNA of the one one GRCX Industry 9's Go Anywhere Ride Anything 700C wheel set. When the route leaves room for improvisation, but no questions on the gear. Mount up an Industry 9-1-1 Trail 650B wheel set. Practical design, legendary i9 power transfer at your command, handcrafted in the U.S., and MSRP below $800 U.S. I9's 1-1 road disc wheel sets are built to do one thing, let you enjoy the ride. Learn more about all three of these wheel sets at industry9.com. Thank you to Industry 9 for sponsoring Today's episode. I promise the world's shortest Tour de Lavenir preview. Tour de Lavenir, the race of the future. Uh, generally where big names sort of first show up on the international radar. So 
Dane, give me two names to watch at this year's Tour de l'Avenir that are going to be big names in pro cycling a couple years from now. Okay, so since the Tour de l'Avenir has uh, allowed World Tour riders to race, there are quite a few riders who already have World Tour contracts that will be in attendance. The biggest one, I think, right now is Juan Ayuso of the Spanish team. And Juan Ayuso is a UAE rider already. So he's already riding for a team that just won the Tour de France. And he's an extremely talented young rider. He won the Baby Giro uh, uh, last or in June. Uh, and we'll stick with the... Uh, Young person's Giro for the second for my second name. Uh, Tobias Holland Johannesson is a Uno X rider and quite talented. He was second at the at the two point two Giro uh, in June and just second at the Saska Tour in the Czech Republic. And uh, I think he's got some got a future ahead of him as well, although not a World Tour rider. It really is a race of the future, though, because you look at the past winners, two thousand and nineteen. I think. Uh... A certain winner who's just won two Tour de France's back to back. Bernil 2018. Um, let's have a look. There's David Gadu 2016. Mark Soler 2015. Lopez 2014. Bargill 2012. Chavez 2011. Yeah, quite a few decent names have uh, taken the win at that race previously. Pretty much guaranteed if you win Tour de l'Avenir, you're going to at least have a, a good. Pro career. You may not be Tarek Pogacar every time, but you're going to have a pretty solid pro career where we we hear your name frequently from the World Tour. So always a race worth keeping an eye on. There, there is sometimes a live stream as well. If you are going to check it out, the final three stages are ridiculous amount. And the last stage has the call that is around on. It goes up to 2,700 meters uh, and finishes on the uh, Saint Bernard Pass, I believe. Or they called it Petit Saint Bernard, something like that. A big mountain. Yeah. Uh, and of course, if you're looking for a writer to watch, it has to be Arden's Ben Healy. So that's enough. There you go. Yeah, that last stage, what, 154K and over 4,000 metres of climbing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's a hard Tour de France stage, not not a not a Tour de Lavenir stage. That's that's wild. Yeah, and that, like like Ronan said, there often is a um, there often is a live stream. Uh, is it going to be on? The Tour de Lavenir will be on Eurosport, actually. Uh, I don't know when. I don't know exactly the details, but, you know, everyone out there, you have Google. You'll figure it out. It is on Eurosport, so there will be a live stream at some point. Moving on to the Vuelta a España, last Grand Tour of the year, and we've got quite a few big names in this Vuelta. We don't need to do a stage by stage breakdown of the route, but Dane, give me give me the overview. Where where are we starting? What's the beginning look like? What's the end look like? What are the stages we should probably keep an eye on? Yeah, so it's it's a race that's going to be bookended uh, by time trials, which is kind of interesting. An interesting thing for the Vuelta. We don't usually see that at the Vuelta, um, but yeah, this year there will be uh, instead of a sprint finale, the race is going to close out with the TT. I guess they've kind of decided to jump on the bandwagon of late TTs that we've really been seeing more and more lately. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but yeah, the race is going to start, uh, start off in Burgos in uh, north central Spain. And it's going to be a short TT, just 8K, uh, which probably won't have that big of an impact on the overall, but it could put a GC rider kind of in the driver's seat pretty early on, considering there's also uh, an uphill finish on stage three, a cat one climb to finish stage three. So there's very, very little time before the GC riders will be kind of at the four, which I like. It's not going to be like a eight days of sprints and hills. Uh, there, there will be some GC action early. Uh, the real the real heart of the GC battle should come, as usual, uh, in the third week where there will be some extremely challenging climbs. Uh, there's a back-to-back kind of day. Stage 17 and 18 are your two, I think, really hard. It's going to be the race is going to be decided uh, up in uh, the... North of Spain along the coast, stage 17 climbs to Lagos de Covadonga, which is an extremely hard climb and one that is constantly featured in the in the race because it is so great and so beautiful uh, up there in the green mountains uh, at the Picos de Europa area. And that's going to be a really hard one. And then the very next day, uh, they're going to take on an even harder finishing climb, uh, I think at least, after going over two Cat 1s and then a Cat 2. 
Stage 18 finishes in Asturias on the Alto del Gamonitero, and it is extremely hard, 14.9K at 9.7% average gradient, uh, which is, that's a long time to be going uh, up nearly double-digit gradient, uh, and it's going to, I think, decide the race. Although, like I said, there is a time trial on the final day, so Stage 21 in Santiago de Compostela in Galicia, will be a 33.7k time trial, which is not short. Uh, it's a little bit hilly, but it's it's uh, long enough that unless some of the climbers, you know, get a big lead, they may have a, a Primus Roglic breathing down their neck uh, on that final day. So that that could be pretty entertaining if, if uh, uh, one or two of the big climbers, pure climbers in the race, gets a, a decent lead, but maybe not enough. We, we could see some fireworks on that very final stage. Big, big contenders for this Vuelta. Primus Roglic is going to be there. Yeah, Roglic, I think, you know, the two-time defending champion and a rider who has clearly shown he loves winning this race and he really wants to do well in this race. Um, and I think with the time trial, he's got a great chance. Uh, but Ineos Grenadiers sending a really, really impressive squad, as good as I think the squad they sent to the Tour de France. I mean, the Tour de France had more, uh, you know, guys who have finished on Grand Tour podiums, I guess. Uh, but this is this is a heck of a squad. Uh, that Ineos is sending to the Vuelta, which they just announced today. Uh, the, the big leader, I think, is going to be Egan Bernal, who, of course, just won the Giro d'Italia. And uh, I wish, I think all of us wish he'd gone to the Tour de France to make things a little bit more interesting. Um, but Bernal, I think, is going to be ready to go. And I think he's going to want to show, just like he did at the, at the Giro, that he's got he's got this... Uh, I don't know, I think he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and, and I think he's going to try to do what he can to prove that he's still got the, the speed. Uh, Richard Carpas, also there, just finished third at the Tour de France and was second uh, at, at the Vuelta last year and pushed Roglic pretty hard there. Uh, they got Pavel Sivakov. They've got Jonathan Narvaez. And they got Tom Pitcock. He's pretty good at racing bikes. Uh, who knows what he's going to do in his first Grand Tour. Uh, and they've got Adam Yates, who is, I think, going to get maybe a little bit of a a bigger role than you might expect, even with Egan Bernal and Carapaz on the team, just because he hasn't had that much, uh, that many opportunities this year. So with Yates, Carapaz, and Bernal, I think they have a, a really impressive three-pronged attack potential there. I'd say this team looks stronger than their tour team. I mean, well, you've got two Olympic gold medalists <laughs> on it. First and foremost, one uh, in the mountain bike race, and obviously Carapaz in the road race. Um, yeah, it looks like a massively, massively strong team. That the email with their the official roster came through while we were sitting here on the podcast, and I'm just looking through this, and yeah, it's gonna be. Here's a question: Is the Vuelta gonna be better than the Tour de France this year? From a from a pure racing perspective, always is, isn't it? I'm looking at this start list. Yeah, I'm looking at this start list. Well, but like the Vuelta is often entertaining because it's a little bit more wild, a little bit less controlled, a little bit. It's often sort of like second tier or like one and a half tier GC contenders all kind of going after it. But I mean, we got we got we got the the biggest names in the sport, with the exception of Pogacar, uh, at this Vuelta. Is it going to be better than the Tour? I mean, I think the Tour is so was so marred by early crashes that assuming that doesn't happen at this Vuelta, there will be there will be way more big name contenders still in with a shot much farther into this race than they were into the tour. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly thinking it's going to be, from a racing perspective, we're going to get a much closer battle of, uh, between some big names. The chaos might not be as entertaining because every single day of the tour was pure chaos, but the battle for the general classification, I mean, it couldn't get much more boring. <laughs> True. Yeah, I get that was the weird thing about the tour, right? Is day to day it was really exciting, but the actual sort of narrative over three weeks is really quite, quite predictable and boring. I don't think that's going to happen at this Vuelta. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to, you know, put their foot down and win this thing by minutes and minutes and minutes. And there are a few other names. Maybe I mean, Bahrain's got Mika Landa, who basically always seems like he could be in with a shot at something. Uh, and this year, but he never is. So this year, he's got <laughs> some teammates. Say, but <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kind of curious to see how Byron Victorious plays it because of, you know Landa's got the pedigree of being a Grand Tour contender for all these years, and and yet uh, you know they suddenly have a, a Grand Tour runner up on this team in Damiano Caruso, and I'm wondering whether they're going to give him you know a little bit more freedom there. 
to, to do his thing. And then, yeah, Hugh Carthy, uh, a rider who has had success in this race before. And uh, Miguel Angel Lopez is going to be there. Uh, Enric Mas, uh, the aforementioned Alexander Vlasov. And Roglic has a teammate who I think is going to be a really good one to watch in Sepp Kuss. And he was supposed to. I, I think they had a mind of giving him a, a bit of a free roll here heading into the season before Primoz Roglic uh, crashed and, and turned himself into a mummy at the Tour de France. And now he's headed to the Vuelta as probably the, the you know team option 1A. But I'm hoping they still give Sepkus some freedom. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm disappointed you've not mentioned Guillaume Martin. <laughs> oh, sorry, Shadi. Well, I just figured you would do. I, I'd get, get, leave it to you. All right, it's time for some picks. Who are we picking? Who's going to win the Vuelta? Dane, we'll start with you. That's that seems unfair. I just did all Let that talking, guess. and now you're going to throw me again. I can guess again. exactly who Dane's going to say, though. Oh, I don't know. I feel like there's two picks. It's like I think you're 50-50 here. So, Mikael Landa? Yeah, it's going to be Mikael Landa. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot about Max Schachman in this podcast. I feel like I could pick him, <laughs> right? Uh, that's a really tough call because I think that Roglic and Bernal are really closely matched here. And I think Roglic is probably the favorite because of, well, he's had a great year. And we don't really know much about Bernal right now because it's been a little while. But I'm going to pick Bernal. I think uh, Egan Bernal's got a, got a really, really strong team here. And I don't think there's enough time trialing for Bernal to get that far on the back foot to Roglic. Ronan? I, I've heard rumors that Bernal is, his back is still not 100%. Um, so hopefully they're not true. But uh, for that reason, I'm, I'm not going to go for the other obvious candidate. I'm going to go for Carapaz instead, just because I like the way he races. He's, he's uh, quite aggressive, never afraid to go on the attack, except at the third France. Um, and hopefully, yeah, he can uh, go one one step further than he went last year. Abby, uh, yeah, only one one pick for me, and that's Hugh Carthy. Excellent, <laughs> Shotty. I want to go with Abby. I'd love to say Hugh Carthy as well, but it's clearly Guillaume Martin, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm gonna go. Is you he, gotta go. I is like he in the race? He is in the race. Coffee is in the race, of course, being a world tour team, so you have to legally take him. Um, but no, you got <laughs> you got to go Carapaz as well. I reckon he was look he was looking good at the Olympics, good at the tour. Maybe yeah, it's a little bit too too long a stretch for him to go there. But hey, yeah, I'd like to see him win. And if and if what Ronan says is true, well, let's let's stick with them rumors and yeah, take Carapaz. I think it's going to be a good battle between Bernal and Roglic. Um, and I want Bernal to take it because I want Bernal to gain even more confidence ahead of next year's Tour de France because I want next year's Tour de France to be better than this year's Tour de France from a GC perspective. And so I'm going to say Egan Bernal wins the Vuelta. There you go. Picks. Picks done. Vuelta's coming up. It's going to be a good race. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to having bike racing not happen at 2 o'clock in the morning which it was for the entire Olympic Games. Uh, we're back to our poor Aussie colleagues having to wake up, or actually not really wake up, just stay up uh, for to watch their bike racing. But we get back to an excellent time zone <laughs> for bike racing. Abby, you had something you want to finish up with? Yeah. I, while we're in the um, realm of race previews, I feel it's important to mention that the Ladies Tour of Norway starts on the 12th of August and runs until the 15th. It's the next women's world tour race on the world tour calendar. We've not had a race well since San Sebastian. Um, so not as not usually the month long gap in between world tour races for the women, but that's, that's the next world tour race coming up this week. Uh, the last three editions have been won by Mariana Voss. It's usually kind of a sprinter's race, but can get pretty wild out there on the rolling roads of Norway. And it will be live on GCN Plus, so don't forget to check it out. Excellent. Love a good bit of live coverage. As always, you can get uh, even deeper analysis of the women's peloton, women's races on freewheeling. Go check it out. You know, I've just I've just opened up the file for our chat with Kuhn de Court, and it is 27 minutes long. And we're already a bit long in today's episode. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to put up the Kunda Court 
interview separately as its own podcast. We'll put it up tomorrow. Uh, so a day later than the daily here. And if you want to listen to that, pull it up and give it a listen. But I'm not going to stick it in this episode because we're already quite long. So it will be up this week. You can give that a listen. It is a fantastic interview. Uh, if you missed the story that Jose wrote, that is already up on the site. But yeah, no need for an hour, 45 minute uh, podcast <laughs> this week. <laughs> so check that out. It will be up again sometime within about 24 hours of this episode going up and uh give it a listen and until next week bye everybody thanks for listening mm-hmm.